Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Greatest Games podcast on the Blizzard. My name is Marcus Sperler. With me is Jonathan Wilson. And with us today is David Owen, freelance sports journalist and author and former sports editor of the Financial Times. David, pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thanks, Marcus. Good to be here. Today, we go all the way back to August 1925 for the season opener at Villa Park that finished Aston Villa 10, Burnley 0. David, why have you chosen this game? Um, I've chosen this game because uh, 25-26 was the season when they finally decided to, to change the offside law to, to more or less what it is now. I, you need two opponents between you and the goal at the moment the ball is past you. Prior to the, the 25-26 season, uh, you needed three defenders, including the goalkeeper, between you and the goal. So this was a, a, a big, big change. They'd been sort of humming and hawing about it. I'm sure Jonathan will tell you for at least 10 years before that. And they finally bit the bullet and did it. Now, this game uh, occurred on the first weekend of that season. It was a, w- 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 one of the full schedule that, that weekend. And you can imagine the administrators would have been uh, curious, a little nervous, thinking what what was going to happen because you know the press beforehand was was full of um, predictions about you know absolute avalanches of goals and you know this is going to happen, that is going to happen, um, and this this was a game that 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 sort of is the the, fir- the first game with an extraordinary scoreline of a, a season of extraordinary scorelines. The, um, the, the there ended up being. Uh, 43% more goals scored that season than the previous season. So you can see the effect that the, the change in the law had. And this game was really the, the, the first one to give you an indication of the way things were going to be. Mm. I mean, presumably, Jonathan, word hadn't reached Burnley that there was a rule change. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think it wasn't just Burnley, to be fair to them. I mean, you, you see some really random results being that season as teams are trying to adapt. Uh, and basically, it, it's, uh, I, I think, it's the biggest single law change that we've had other than, so, you know, the laws first run up as, as we would accept them today in 1863. So in 1866 is, is the first really big change to offside. Uh, so previously uh, you hadn't been allowed to pass to somebody in front of you. So, you know, the same as rugby. And then they introduced the, the Eaton offside law, which is this, you know, three men, um, to, to 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 play you on, and suppose that I, I think this is the single biggest change in football, bigger than the back pass law, uh, and maybe you could say goalkeepers being restricted to handling their box rather than their own half, which happened in nineteen twelve. But this is a massive change, and teams really struggle to deal with it. And so you see huge fluctuations. The teams will, uh, you know, win eight nil one week and lose six nil the next week, and then, you know, there's, there's there's no sort of consistency. Uh, and it's only really by the end of a decade that people have fully worked out how they're going to how they're going to adapt to this. Mm. I mean, David was was football particularly cagey before nineteen twenty five? Was there a lack of goals and a perceived lack of entertainment? Was that it why was, the rule it was getting it was getting uh, increasingly cagey? I think um, uh, you tended to have play compressed in midfield. Um, and the other thing that was worrying them was uh, attendances were dropping. Uh, 
they, you know, they, you, you get sort of, I don't know, 20 or 30 offside decisions in a game routinely. So every three or four minutes, there'd be an offside decision. Um, and, and, and crowds were going down partly because, you know, the economy was, was not great. This was, uh, 26 was the year of the general strike. Um, but, but partly because the entertainment value was dropping. I, th- I think that's right, Jonathan, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, so in the, the previous season, the 24 5, which is what forces them to, into the change, there was an average of 2.58 goals per game, which in the 80s would have seemed pretty standard. But, but I mean, you know, these days we would expect 2.7, 2.8 goals per game. And certainly by the standards of early football, 2.58 was you know, impossibly low. So, the, the, yeah, there was definitely concern about that. And the, the, you know, the story goes that the, the game that really persuaded the FA we've got to do something was a, a nil-nil draw in February 25 between Bury and Newcastle. And it was Newcastle's sixth nil-nil of the season. And they had a pair of fullbacks, uh, Hudspeth and McCracken, who were seen as being the absolute um, masters of playing an offside trap. And, and I, well, I, I think the, the offside trap in those days, it's... It was never the risk that it is today, because of course you can leave one fullback back. So one fullback steps up, one sits in. So even if you misjudge it, you still have a fullback and the goalkeeper. That's right. There was to give you a bit of protection. Policy. Yeah. So it, it, it wasn't like today where you can squeeze. Yeah, even even team was squeezing up well. Even Arsenal in their pomp in the late eighties, early nineties, there was always that chance you might time a three ball and time the run, and you might get in behind them. Well, that wasn't really here then. So I, I think teams playing the offside trap really was yeah, killing the game. It was Notts County who, who really began that, but it was Newcastle who perfected it. And so I guess then the, the, the next question is, why then? Why does the, mm. yeah, This has been implicit in the laws since 1866. Why is it only in the years immediately after the First World War that this happens? And my, my suspicion is that the war changes everything. Um. Because even though from the 1880s, football has been a professional game, uh, the people running the teams, the directors, the, the, the secretary managers, as they were, still tended to be people coming from the old middle-class university traditions. And they had this idea of playing the game the right way. And that would not mean playing an offside trap. But what the First World War does, I mean, A, it kills a greater proportion of the officer class than, than you know, the, the uh, privates class, the... Uh, which creates opportunities for intelligent working class people to move into managerial roles. But B, during the war, a lot of working class people get managerial experience. So the great example of this is Herbert Chapman, who I'm sure we'll go on to talk about, because yeah. he is the greatest exponent of a change in, 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 in the offside law. But he'd been manager of Leeds City before, he managed Northampton, then Leeds City before the war starts. Then during the war, he leaves his job at Leeds City, which is just as well for him because they end up getting done over illegal payments and run down. And he's banned, but gets his ban lifted on the grounds he wasn't there. And the reason he's not there is because he's gone to, to run an armament factory in Leeds. And so he comes out of the, the war and um, is offered a job at Huddersfield. And, and part of the reason they want him is that they know he's a smart you know, man in terms of tactics, in terms of dealing with players, because they've seen that in Northampton and Leeds City. But also, he's had this experience running an armaments factory. He can handle employees. He can handle money. And before the war, that experience wasn't there. So you have a different class of people running football clubs. And this class of people don't care about playing the game the right way, in inverted commas. 
they care about winning because if they don't win, they don't get the win bonus. And they need the win bonus to put food on the table, to buy shoes for their kids, you know, whatever. So I, I, th- I think that's why football becomes much more uh, win-focused, shall we say, immediately after the First World War. And then, but that then leads to goals per game going down and, and, and crowds going down. Sure. I mean, obviously, after the First World War, it still took seven years for that rule change to, to come in. Uh, but uh, David, as I was doing a bit of research on this, the Scottish FA seem to be quite keen for rule changes with, with the offside law. And I know, without going back too much after um, what you were saying there, Jonathan, you know, the, the offside and own half, that one's own half law, they, they were quite keen to change that. But how well, important- but that, that, that came in, that's an interesting point. Mm. And it's a point about this idea of playing football the right way. So that changes in 1906. Mm. And the reason is an England-Scotland game in April 1906, um, when uh, England's left half, Harry Makepeace, gets injured. And the England captain, S.S. Harris of the Corinthians, who's an amateur player, uh, and he comes, you know, Corinthians, obviously, he's coming from that university background. Um, His response to that, and no substitutes, obviously, in those days, wasn't to pull back a forward but it was to push forward the left-back, Herbert Burgess, to play in midfield. And so what England do, and this seems ridiculous, they, they sit um, Robert Compton, the right-back, they sit him deep. And the rest of the team plays what's essentially a pressing game. They play sort of 20, 25 yards from the Scottish goal. And Scotland keep on getting caught offside 25 yards from their own goal. <laughs> yeah. and, and this is seen as an absolute farce. You know, there's, there's newspaper articles both north and south of the border uh, criticizing Harris. Harris never plays for England again as a result of this. <laughs> and then the summer, that summer they say, okay, you can only be offside in the opponent's half to stop teams doing that. Mm. But I mean, that, that I think is an amazing sort of detail of how even you know, 43 or 40 years after the, the offside law, you know, as we, in something in like a recognizable form, is brought in, people still hadn't worked out what you could do with it. And when somebody does exploit that, the sense isn't actually maybe this law's a bit daft. The sense is, well, that's a disgrace. He's not playing properly. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was the one back game they used to call it. Uh, yeah. Or it, or it was sort of tag, yeah. which is quite funny. Uh, I, I, from what I could tell, the Scots were a bit hesitant about, about the rule change, actually, because the passing game, short passing, was much more established uh, north of the border than, than 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 in England. I mean, Scotland were a much better team by and large in, 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 at that time than England were, and uh, there was a feeling, rightly or wrongly, that if you changed the the offside law in this way, you you'd get people just punting balls through the middle for for quick forwards to to run onto, and that that was. Uh, the Scots were, were a lot more hesitant about that than, than the English were, but 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 actually their season kicked off a week before the English season. I guess I guess partly because the days were you know get shorter, quicker there, and um, so they. I think that again, as Jonathan was saying, there was one team. I think Kilmarnock or, or Hibernians won eight nil one week and then lost five nil the next. So there was one one big swing. But they could tell from the first week or two of the Scottish season that uh, while uh, although there were more goals, it wasn't you know ridiculous. You could still recognise the score lines as uh, score lines in a football league. Hmm. Yeah, and uh, yeah, some of the score lines are quite interesting, as as you say. Now, as I understand, Jonathan, in 1925, when the rule comes in, the FA arranged a trial match at Highbury 
Yeah. Where um And the first pro- the first yeah. half it was played uh with the you know, the, the two man law mm-hmm. and the second half was uh, they, they had a line forty yards from goal at yeah. either end and said you can only be offside uh, beyond that. Um which doesn't seem like much given I mean it's only adding sort of you know ten, fifteen mm-hmm. yards. But it adds uh, an but, extra layer layer of complication though. Yeah, and they they, 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 they trialed that and they decided they preferred the, the two man version. Which is mm-hmm. I mean on the one hand, I'm sort of inclined to give the FA credit for acknowledging here is a problem and thinking what might solutions be. Here are two possible solutions that trial them. On the other hand, I sort of think 45 minutes is no time at all to make that sort of decision. <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah but, but, surely you, you you trial it in a you know in a in a reserve league or something over the season. Yeah, but when you know, you know. I mean, clearly the proof is in the pudding. I mean, you know. It, well, and the rule... fact is, it, it clearly was a very good change. I mean, yeah, we, that, we've only tweaked years it. later. Yeah, we've barely tweaked that law. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Whereas in the previous, uh, however many years, um, they, they 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 really did try a bit, of, you know, backwards and, and backwards and forwards. And, and I think and, it's and worth we... saying because you, you quite often see people talking about is offside a, a dying law? Is it a law we should get rid of? Mm. Um, actually, offside's essential for the shape yeah. of football as we know it. And people say, "Well, we, you don't have it in hockey." Yeah, but hockey's a game where you, you know it's very, very difficult to play the ball in the air. And when it is played in the air, it has to be into space. You're not playing it for for two players to, to, to jump for. If you had no offside law in football, then it would completely change completely change the structure of the game, the shape of the game as we understand it. The offside law is absolutely essential for football as it stands. And the only thing you can do is you can occasionally tweak it, liberalise it, or, you know, I don't think it's ever the intention, but the, the initial impact of VAR was to to make it stricter again. And that that sort of, it's it's almost like a valve where you're letting pressure in or, or letting pressure out or, or, or sort of creating pressure within the game. I think it's an incredibly useful tool for administrators to to, to slightly uh, change the pattern of a game without without radically sort of ripping it up. So I think the offside law is is a great law, and even though they they made this change with next to no evidence, they they somehow got it right. Platini said, "Without offside, there's no football," didn't he? So he obviously. I mean, Platini said a lot of things, but on this, he did say a lot of things. But on this, I have to agree with him. Yeah, yeah. I don't think he was. Yeah, I don't think he was paid for that opinion, David. So we'll let him. Um, All right. Less said about that, the better. Let's go for a quick break before I say something I regret. Welcome back to the greatest games on the blizzard, everybody. Um, so, yes, yeah, you, you mentioned uh, um, the, earlier, uh, David, that it was the start of the season with that Aston Villa yeah. 10 0 um, and uh, the 160 goals on the opening day across the Football League at the, on, 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 at the start of the 25 26 season compared to 91 in the previous season. And on that particular match that uh, we've highlighted, there was about forty-three thousand at Villa Park. Would they, would there have been a sense of uh, sort of wonderment among the crowd as to what this offside rule would bring? Did it, did it sort of uh, uh, capture a bit of intrigue from the public, or were people just turning up to? No, yeah, I mean, all the big uh, newspapers did uh, very prominent leaders on it. You know, the mm. Times described it as the bold experiment, no, the daring experiment, I think. <laughs> right. and, and the Guardian talked about it being, you know, this more important than anything that would be debated at the League of Nations or something like that. <laughs> they definitely did. Um, Villa, Villa, the Guardian 
the Guardian's tone has changed a lot about. I was about to since. say, well, get a bit about, Scott, wasn't get it? that back. Yeah. Um, but Villa, Villa fans, I suspect, were probably less worried about the the the, the offside rule than the, the the boardroom turmoil that was sweeping the club at the time. Uh, they, they they five days before the first game, they'd lost the chairman who'd been there for a large number of years, Fred Rinder or Rinder. Uh, I don't know which it is. Tom Holland probably knows. Um, uh, he he he'd gone. So so Villa was a team in 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 considerable turmoil. I think that I think that the the halt end would have been uh, probably uh, very nervous about the first game of the season. Uh, Burnley weren't great. They narrowly avoided relegation the season before, uh, but they had one or two very good players. Uh, John Hill ended up ended the season as England's centre-half. And this was a season where, um, I'm sure we'll talk more later, that the, 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 the whole role of the centre-half was almost continually under scrutiny. Um, and they also had a young uh, forward called Louis Page, who um, uh, they, they insisted on playing uh, on the wing the whole season. And then they moved him to centre-forward in about March, about three-quarters of the way through the, se- the, the season, and he scored six in his first game. Uh, so Burnley were a, were, were a funny old side. But the Villa fans certainly wouldn't have been expecting to win 10-0. I'm sure yeah. when dear old Lane Capewell scored the first after, uh, I think it was 20 seconds, uh, they'd have been absolutely delighted. <laughs> Well, especially given they they finished fifteenth the previous season, which was their their joint worst ever finish. I mean, Villa right. of course were the yeah they and Sunderland were the two great teams of the of the eighteen nineties. And <laughs> I don't know why you're rolling your eyes, Marcus. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, forgive me, everybody. Sorry. Uh, and and how, how different football might have been if uh, Villa hadn't uh, behaved despicably in the nineteen thirteen FA Cup final against Sunderland. But anyway, carry on. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, it was a real sliding doors moment. We can agree. But yeah, Villa, you're right. They finished fifteenth. It was uh, their, their, their joint lowest ever finish. And uh, apparently, the supporters were a bit disappointed. According to an article I found in the Birmingham Mail, the supporters back then were a bit disappointed with the selectors that they'd, um, when they're starting 11, they stuck with the old guard. And there's, there's nothing like a 10-0 victory to get people <laughs> back on the side, I find. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that should have, uh, that, that, that should have um, kept them a bit happy when they went home that evening. Um, and, uh, you know, it was, it was incredible. Uh, Jonathan, how did it change football tactically then with this, this new rule implementation? Because that must have had you sent huge shockwaves in, on the tactic boards around the country. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a realisation that once you lose the offside trap, you have to bolster the defence. Uh, so the, it appears that actually relatively early, the idea of dropping a centre-half deeper did happen in certain specific instances. So C.B. Fry wrote an encyclopedia entry in 1897 where he talks about the third back game. And he, you know, he says, if you're trying to defend Leeds with you know, 20 minutes to go, Pull your centre half deeper, play with a with with you know, essentially three fullbacks, um, fullbacks in the sense of a player who plays right at the back rather than fullbacks as we understand today, and that will help you to to you know, to hold the opposition at bay. So that idea has clearly been there. Uh, Herbert Chapman has exper- experimented with it quite a lot. Um, Chapman was Chapman was not a good footballer, but he clearly had a very inventive, active brain. So even when he was a player. And he he never played never played in the first division, never played at a high level. But he he would wear very pale boots 
because he believed that allowed people to pick him out more easily. So when he when he finally gets to Arsenal, he brings in all these innovations. So he introduced the white sleeves because he had a theory that uh, pale colours could be seen better in peripheral vision than, than dark colours. He introduced blue and white hooped socks for Arsenal to, just to make them brighter. So again, you could see them more easily with your heads down. And you know, he did you know, famously change them to Gillespie Road Station to Arsenal. He installed floodlights. He, he experimented with, with numbers on the shirts. You know, he, he was a, a, a very sort of thoughtful man. Um, and again, uh, even be- yeah, so before 1925, he's begun to play with a third back at times, most notor- notoriously in the 1922 Cup final, which Huddersfield end up winning, but it's an incredibly boring game. And he's actually censured by the FA, which again, I think suggests the idea of you have to play the game the right way. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's not censured because his team are physical or been committing fouls, just because he's been boring. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I mean, of course, he doesn't care. He's, he's won the Cup. And then he goes on to win the league with Huddersfield and then leaves after two successive titles to go to Arsenal because they offered him more money. And as he saw it, they, they offered greater potential for growth. And, and so uh, he is one of the many who, who look at the changing offside law and think, right, the three at the back is the way we've got to go. But that then has a knock-on effect. Uh, well, yeah, because they brought in or they changed the offside rule rather because... They felt that, as we mentioned in the first half, that football's getting a bit cagey and so on. But then this rule changes matters now, other than perhaps at Villa Park and one or two other results. As time goes on, you're saying that people then begin to start packing the defence. Well, so, so Arsenal's first game that season, they beat Leeds 4-1. Mm-hmm. But, uh, oh, sorry, not the first game. At the end of September, they, they, they beat Leeds 4-1. And then the following week, they go to Newcastle and lose 7-0. Because uh, there's still nobody sort of worked out what they're doing. And they just signed Charlie Buchan from, from Sunderland. Yeah, great inside forward, one of Sunderland's greatest ever players. And uh, he'd famously been signed. Arsenal had offered £4,000 and Sunderland said, no, we'll take £2,000 plus £100 for every goal he scores in his first season. And he ended up scoring 21. So Sunderland did get the better of that deal, just. Um, but Buchan, uh, after the 7-0 defeat, says to Chapman, Look, I'm just not going to go back to London. I'm going to retire. This is This is... Pointless. Where I can't can't cope with this. I'm going to stay up, stay up in the northeast. I'm going to open a sports shop, and you know, I just just rip up my contract. I don't, I don't want to play anymore. And uh, Chapman has to talk him around and sort of says, "Well, you know, what do you think we should do?" And Buchan's idea is, well, as well as pulling back the half, the, the centre half to become a, a you know a third defender, we have to pull back with two inside forwards. So the, the default formation has been two, three, five, the, the, the pyramid. You pull back the middle of the three to make a three-two-five, but then you pull back the uh, the sort of the the you know, well the two inside forwards. So, so you got the wingers, the inside forwards, the centre forward. You pull back the two inside forwards to create a three-two-two-three. And Buchan very much likes the idea because he's getting he's getting on a bit. His pace is beginning to go of playing as as that deep lying inside right. And Chapman doesn't think he can do it. Chapman doesn't want him to do it. He said, well, we'll do that, but you have to play centre forward. And Buckett's like, no, that's, I'm doing that or I'm staying up here and opening a sports shop. So Chapman gives in and Buckett turns out to be absolutely brilliant at it and mm. goes on to score 21 goals. And, and the birth of the WM formation was there. Yeah. Um, and, and, and David, who, who were the other kind of, you mentioned Herbert Chapman, was there anyone else who, who particularly stood out around this time? In, 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 um, um, well, it was. It turned out very well for for a few forwards because one one of the other things that happened um, after increasingly after a month or two was the speedsters in the team moved from the wing 
to the centre, because if you think about it, if you need to make sure both backs are between you and the opponent's goal when you start your run, you can only read be sure to do that when you're on the wing because that's the only place you can look across the line. If you're centre forward, you'd probably have one on either side of you, so it's guesswork whether or not you're going to be offside. Um, as soon as you move to, to to one defender and the goalkeeper is all you need be, be, between you. Then then the four the, then the centre forward it's possible for them to 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 to, to play on the um, defender's shoulder, um, and so they 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 quickly cottoned onto this. Um, some teams there was a guy called frank osborne i think was south african uh, had a very successful season for tottenham as one of these new breed fast center forwards um and the other guy uh, the other guy who comes to mind um dixie dean timed his arrival in the game just right this was his <laughs> first season he started off in the everton reserves well he, uh, his first season for everton anyway started off in the everton reserves uh, I think it was beginning of September, quite early in the season, he scored seven in a 10-0 win over Bradford City reserves and uh, spent the rest of the season in the first team. So uh, it, it would have made his his uh, life easier, that's for sure. Um, also, uh, Huey Gallagher arrived in England from Adrianians, went to play for Newcastle. Uh, and and it kind of suited him this this new style and some of the other so, so, um, Huddersfield. It, it's interesting at how few changes in you know the good teams ended up remaining good in spite of the law change, in spite of this fairly fundamental law change. Huddersfield they won the they were the reigning champions. They won the league title again, even though um, in spite of the rule change, in spite of the fact that Chapman had just gone to Arsenal. Mm -hmm. um, and they adapted as well. They, they had a very good Scottish winger called Alex Jackson. And um, he uh, spent a lot of time uh, until they signed another uh, Scottish centre forward from Cowden Beef. Jackson spent a lot of time playing centre forward. And also he, he, his runs on the wing became much more diagonal. There, there, there was another, um, he'd make much more of an effort to sort of come in on the far post crosses than than than, than, than under the old system the um the top scorer in the year with 43 goals in what would then have been 42 games was a guy called ted harper for blackburn rovers um who uh, I mean, I don't know a lot about him. He, he he doesn't seem to have pulled up many trees other than in this season. He he played. He got selected for the England Scotland game and uh, didn't didn't score. Uh, didn't play particularly well. Never never got signed. Uh, never never got capped again. Uh, so I think probably Dean's Dean and Gallagher are the two who really uh, became stars during the season. Um, there was another thing that happened was that the the Jonathan's right about this the, the center halves being pulled back um but teams teams and and individual players were quite reticent about that a lot of them you know having spent their entire careers being creative as well as defensive players in fact probably primarily creative players they didn't want to change that their, their game uh completely like that um so they they try and be they try and do both um 
And you notice there, 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 there are quite a few tall, six, six foot was very tall in those days. And quite a few of the centre-halves by the end of that season were, were six-footers. There was a, a guy called Harry Skitt who, uh, for Tottenham, who I don't think had a very long career at the top because he got injured, but he, he had a very good season in 25, 26. Um, both uh, cup finalists, Bolton and Man City, there was a guy called Jimmy Seddon for Bolton another very tall guy and Sam Cowan from Manchester City was I think he was just under six foot but he he was a well-built individual so so you know the the role of centre-half really changed um and and there was a lot of onus on 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 the sort of physicality um Hill the Burnley player we talked about earlier he was was and remained a sort of all action player but again he he he, he was six two he was one of the ones who who tried to keep the attacking side of his game going. Um, but um, I think Burnley, I'm right in saying, are one of the three or four teams who conceded over 100 goals that year. So I'm not sure whether you can say it worked. <laughs> not too commanding, though. Yeah, we, we should say as well, to be fair to, to Jack Hill, that uh, he, he got injured in this game against Villa. He did get injured, C- yeah. Collided with George Stevenson, had to be yeah. carried off, covered mm. in blood. Had to have stitches, and that's probably one of the reasons why Villa were able to score. 10. That's undoubtedely one. It was two nil by that point when he was carried off. But yeah, ten nil. Probably. But, but, but this, this point about the the role of a centre half changing. I mean, you see that very um, specifically at Arsenal, who had Jack Butler as a centre half, who was a, a you know very sort of elegant, cultured player, and Chapman sort of realised now it's not what we need. So he went to went to Oswestry and signed Herbie Roberts, who people thought was just just a lump. And so the, the, the term that, that uh, Chapman used was, I need my centre-half to be an overcoat. That he was just an overcoat who, you know, who hung over the shoulders of the opposing centre-forward. And this is a very, and I think this sets a template for English centre-halves, I mean, for, for all time, essentially. And yeah, we're still slightly suspicious of a ball-playing centre-half, maybe not so much now, but even 20 years ago. We were. <laughs> yeah, if you think of the reaction to, say, Rio Ferdinand when he first emerged, it was... Well, we're not we're not quite certain about that kind of thing, <laughs> uh, but this is where I think British football or English football uh, diverges from continental European football. That certainly in Austria, Hungary, Italy, there's still a belief that now the centre half, okay, we're going to pull him slightly deeper, but he's going to retain some of his creative qualities. Um, but then, having said that, this is still very different to what to, to South America. So when Doi Kushner great Hungarian coach when he goes to Flamengo in 1936 the centre-half there is Fasso Dos Santos who is sort of a huge star of the team and he says to him no you're going to have to play a bit deep because we're, in- we're introducing sort of Central European tactics we're going to go from this crazily attacking 2-3-5 to not quite a WM but sort of a, a WW and Dos Santos is having none of it he-, he-, he refuses to do it until the club president literally threatens to sack him um and it's this is the beginning of the real revolution in Brazilian football that makes them the the great power they they, they become certainly by the end of the fifties. So I think this this move is uh, of introducing the third back is a critical to how football is played, but how you interpret that 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 role of the third back is critical to the style of football that you play. Wow. And David, going back to the the media reaction, you see some bombastic headlines from. 
our friends at the Guardian and one or two others, uh, as, as you said at the, at the time. What then was the media reaction as the results started to come in and the, the performances and the, the changing um, of these tactics? I think I think within a month, uh, pretty much everybody had accepted that the law was a good thing and that it, that it was there to stay. Um, Quite remarkable it, in football, it just took a month. For, for people uh, yeah, it wasn't much I, more I, don't, I don't think it. I don't think it. I mean, you're, you're right in terms of the, the sort of general, um, mm-hmm. yeah, match-going reporters. But you have Billy Meisel, who even in 1954, his book Soccer Revolution comes out. Billy Meisel was uh, an Austrian Jew who, who moves to England in the 30s because of anti-Semitism back in Austria. He's the brother of Hugo Meisel, the great head of the Austrian FA and Austrian national team manager. And even as late as 1954, he's saying football went wrong when it changed the offside law in 1925. <laughs> we should have trusted people to do the right thing. And you think, hang on, you grew up in like Nazi Vienna. How, why would you trust people to do the right thing? Like, it makes no sense at all. I thought you were going to say he started saying, well, that third goal back in the day, that wouldn't have yeah. counted, you know? I don't know. I think, I think, it, was, I think it was a really uh, entertaining uh, season because... Um, you know, it was a season of a lot of experimentation, and 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 not all the experiments went right. There were um, quite a few teams decided in have, having initially turned against playing the 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 the, the, the offside trap, the what the one the one back ploy. Uh, quite a few teams tried to go back to it, including including Arsenal. Actually, started playing offside a lot. For the for, for for in in the first half of the season before doing that tweet that that, that Jonathan explained with Charlie Buchan, but um, uh, one of the Manchester United suddenly decided to switch tactics and um, play try try and play an offside trap with just one back um, uh, for the Manchester Derby against City. And it was absolutely disastrous. They lost six one at home. <laughs> and there were quite a few funny, funny mm. results like that. Um, uh, yeah, there was one. I think the most remarkable swing was um, in October when it was still relatively new. Uh, Manchester City, who had a heck of a season, um, uh, ended up getting relegated, but also reached the cup final. They beat Burnley. 8-3 and then two days later they went to Sheffield and lost to Sheffield United by the same score <laughs> and they, they also had a phenomenal cut run <laughs> they, they, um, I think they played Crystal Palace who were Division 2 or possibly even Division 3 South um, at the time in the fourth round and Manchester City won 11-4 and the Palace goalkeeper played so well that he was carried off the field by the Palace fans afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> oh, that's superb. But I, I think there's, there's, there's sort of a wider point here about the experimentation, which is that English football, certainly up to the, up to the First World War, had been very, very conservative. Mm. And that, that once 235 becomes sort of bedded in around about 1880, uh, I mean, there's evidence that Cambridge University played in the 1870s, Nottingham Forest in the 1870s, we know that Wrexham used it in the 1878 Welsh Cup final. But essentially from 1880-ish onwards, everybody plays 2-3-5 and you don't question it. And suddenly you get, in those years immediately after the war, and then particularly after the change in the offside law, 
you you get this experimentation and people i think for the first time are really thinking about the game tactically mm-hmm. i think it forced that mentality yeah. and what what's what's interesting then is once the wm is bedded in by sort of the early 30s because the marking structure is very very straightforward in wm that you know, it's a symmetrical formation with the same number of defenders as forwards so the right back picks up the left winger the right half picks up the inside left yeah. it's very straightforward Nobody thinks to change it. The British football goes back into this conservatism, which is why it's so vulnerable when you, zonal marking starts in the, the beginning of the 50s and you get suddenly Hungary turning up at Wembley and beating them mm. 6-3 because Hungary's players move. They don't just stay where they're meant to stay. Mm. Um, so this is this sort of brief period. And I, I think you can date it from 1918, say, to 1930, 31 uh, of... English football really waking up to the possibilities and being prepared to try things, and some of them worked and some of them didn't. But at least there's an imagination there, which which then just disappears for another twenty years. Yeah, but why do you think that was? I mean, I don't want to get too sidetracked, uh, of course. But why, why do I think they slipped back into conservatism? Yes, um, I, I I think uh, England is is fundamentally quite conservative. They, they, you know, there's a sense that you you do the thing that works, and and why would you mm-hmm. change it? Um, and you know, Arsenal become hugely successful in the 30s. Uh, you know, they're the first southern team to win the league when they win it in uh 31. Um, that you know, they they win uh three league titles in a row. Chapman dies midway through the second one, so it's his second, the second of his clubs that win three in a row, although he's he's not there at the end, either Huddersfield or Arsenal. But Arsenal go on to be the dominant side, you know, they. Um, they win the league again later in the decade they win the cup again uh, so I guess they're the template and everybody sort of wants to follow them and then of course you have the war and I guess once you get the reset after the war people are just sort of feeling their way back into what they'd already been doing mm-hmm. um, I, I, and you know nobody was watching football abroad you know so England would play uh, you know England went to Turin in 1948 and hammered Italy, who were the you know, double world champions then, 34 and 38, and hadn't been a World Cup after that till 50. And so that's sort of proof the English way is the right way. And also, the WM uh, relies for creativity on great wingers, and that was a period when England had great wingers. You know, they had Matthews and they had Finney. Uh, it also demands clever, incisive inside forwards. And you had people like Mortensen and Mannion and Shackleton so they, they had really great, very popular players who fitted those roles. So why would you change a system that... that, that um, yeah, the two things go hand in hand. Those players develop because the system is there, but you keep the system because it fits the players. So I, I think it's it's very easy to see why it just sort of you keep going on with the same pattern. Whereas Hungarian football has a very different mindset that... that uh, the, the coffeehouse intellectuals who'd taken on Hungarian football were always thinking. They always wanted to tweak. Their whole thing was, yeah, I want to think of something new. Uh, and that just didn't exist in the English game. Or when Brazil suddenly changed, it's because they start from a really low base. Mm-hmm. Krushner arrives with this idea and suddenly it's like, oh, hang on, everything we knew before was nonsense. This is the way you do it. And then people keep thinking and building on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's... Also, this, this um, experimentation 
because of the offside law. I mean, I mean, it was it was forced by a new law, right? It wasn't it wasn't like they were necessarily. Uh, well, yeah, I, I mean that's true, but also the law is forced by the experimentation with the offside trap. So the two do go hand in hand. Right. Yes. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, but I, but I, that I, itself, I mean, you're right. That that itself is forced by the war, and so new people in positions of power mm-hmm. and new new um, a new mentality of how you approach the game. So I, I guess you can say it is the first world war which causes it. Well, and I, I suppose if you want to sort of extend that into wider culture, why do you get uh, modernism in the twenties? Your wider people start ripping yeah. up the old ways of doing things. Because we've seen what they lead to. We've seen what they lead to. And so, yeah, the whole, the whole, you know, Ezra Pounds make it new. It's exactly the same impetus in football as in, as in poetry, as in uh, other forms of literature, as in painting, as in sculpture, as in whatever. Mm. But yeah, a good idea lasts, David. And as Jonathan said earlier on, there's been sort of minor tweaks to the offside rule, but really, that's pretty much what we've got. That's right. Yeah, which is quite extraordinary. It's lasted. Uh, the, the, the test of but time I think it way. is worth saying that when it does change again, so mm. there is a liberalisation post nineteen ninety World Cup as, as part of a raft of changes to try and make the game more attacking. So it's the same same issue that by nineteen ninety the game has become mm-hmm. a bit yeah. staid, a, a dearth of goals, worries about attendance is falling, and attendance is obviously falling largely in Britain because of hooliganism as, as much as because of the product. But the what the 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 result of that change in the offside law, which initially is to say that level is is onside, whereas previously it had been offside, and then to change the definition of what it is to interfere. Uh, so you get far fewer offside decisions. So I think between in the Premier League, between 1998 and 2008, the number of offside decisions drops by 38%. And that's happening across Europe. Uh, and the, the result of that, the impact of that, is defences sit slightly deeper, and that increases the effective playing area, which means you can have these smaller, more technical players, which is what facilitates Barcelona. And so you, you probably wouldn't have had Barcelona playing the way they did under Guardiola had you not had the change in the offside law as a result of the 1990 World Cup. So the offside law is still a, an absolutely critical law mm-hmm. to, 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 um, to governing how we play, uh, even, even though that, you know, that tweak post-1990 is relatively minor compared to what happened in 1925. Mm. Unfortunately, VAR has, has made it very clear um, what the offside rule is, and uh, no one complains anymore about it. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, I should point out as well, um, everybody, that obviously we mentioned Villa beating Burnley 10 0. Uh, four years later, in 1929, Sheffield United <laughs> beat Burnley 10 0, which equaled their worst defeat in the league. So clearly they didn't learn. Uh, but there we are. Sean Dyche wasn't in charge. So uh, and we should there. give credit to Len Capel, who scored, a, scored five, and uh, Billy Walker, who got a hat trick. Yeah, uh, and Stevenson in York got the other two goals. It's interesting. I think just to I wrap think, that up for people who actually came to this thinking we're going to go into depth. Just in case, the Cape Well estate. I think Cape Well. <laughs> I think Cape Well only scored nine in the entire previous season, so yeah, he obviously well. liked the, the the law change. Yeah, him and Herbert Chapman benefited greatly. Uh, David, it's been a pleasure talking to you about this. Uh, thanks very much for coming on. A the pod. pleasure, Marcus. Thanks. Uh, for more stories like that do check out theblizzard.co.uk myself and Jonathan will be back next week with another great game from the history of football see you then